Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Welcome, everybody, to the When to Jump podcast. If it sounds like my voice is going... It is, and it's a good thing. 15 events in our first 10 days on the When to Jump book tour, and I am spending a ton of time telling the story and talking to people like you. Many of our listeners have come out in the cities across the country where we've been. It has been awesome to meet everybody, meaningful to spend time and hear your stories, and I'm very grateful for the reception so far. It's been an incredible whirlwind. I'm meeting a lot of you through Rob Bell. If you don't know Rob Bell, he has an amazing podcast called The Robcast. He's written tons of books. He does speaking tours and kind of educational, spiritual info sessions on what it means to be spiritual and what does faith and religion play in today's world. And he has an incredible following. What's really neat about Rob is that he does everything himself. He has no assistance, no team. He records out of the backyard of his house. He's all in on being him. So for all of you who have found Rob Bell through me, I hopefully there are some of you who have done that. For all of those who have found me through Rob Bell and continue to tell me that on the tour, thank you. I think this episode will be one you will enjoy, and I hope to get my voice back soon. He was in a band, and the band broke up. He took a jump to school to become a pastor (laughs) and then started a church because he thought there's got to be a better way to do this whole thing. He is now a spiritual teacher, some would say author, speaker, and all around interesting human being. And he thinks about it all from architecture to psychology to reimagining spirituality for everybody. He is Rob Bell and he joins me today on the When to Jump podcast. Rob, thank you for coming on. Man, my pleasure. Especially in the comfort of my own back house. This is fantastic. <laughs> you come to me. It's great. Rob is someone you travel long distances, near and far, to sit down with them. It's a comfy chair. So, <laughs> does, that found, does that intro sound weird to you? How many things you've done in your life course? Uh, you know, in my t- 20s, I distinctly remember deciding I would not live my life wondering what if. My wife, Kristen, and I, somehow we saw the whole thing as an adventure early on. Like the curiosity, the buzz, the that hum that tells you life is over here. Yeah. Uh, so early on, we were like, "We'll we'll go." We're, that's what we're interested in. And where were you at that point? Well, it did start out. I was in college. I was in a band, and we thought we were going to be the next REM, which dates us. Um, <laughs> dates me. And the band broke up, and I had no plan B. I mean, it was like an existential terror. Like, what are you going to do when you leave college? And somehow I got in my head, I'm going to go study theology and become a pastor. <laughs> and partly because I had I'd gone to church growing up, and I just always thought, this should be, this is the stuff of life. How do you forgive somebody who's wronged you? How do you live nonviolently in the world? How do you know what you're here to do? 
How do you live with less worry? These are like the pressing questions of what it means to be human. And how come this thing, this spiritual community thing is supposed to be where you wrestle with this, but how come it's so boring? So something within me, there was like a drive, like, I want to redo that. Uh, um, because for so many people, religion's a negative word. But the same person who says, I want nothing to do with religion will also <clears throat> will also say, I hate my job and I would love to figure out how to do something, wake up in the morning with some sense of anticipation or hope. Um, we're very spiritual beings. We're desperate for this thing to mean something, for it to matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, there's got to be some way to create spaces that make all of the biggest questions and that discussion more accessible. So I went to seminary, became a pastor, and then I was like, I got to start my own church because this is not working. So we started a church, which was a massive risk. And what was what was not working when you decided to start a church? Uh, the first church that I worked in after seminary was like, uh, what do I wear? When do I stand up? When do I sit down? Inside, There's all this inside baseball. There were all these terms and forms and metaphors that unless you knew it, it was like, what are they, what are they talking about? Um, so I just had some sense like, so is there some way to make this accessible? There's thousands and thousands of years of wisdom. And some of it's brilliant and insightful and will blow your mind. And a lot of modern people are cut off from it. It's like we're all trouble, no base. Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. Um, so I, we literally, somebody let us use a building for a dollar a year, like a, like a warehouse room. And we started it. And my band roots sort of kicked in and I was like, we can't have a sign. Someone put a sign out front. And I was like, get rid of the sign because you have to, <laughs> you have to want to find this church. <laughs> you have um, to know somebody. And we called it Mars Hill because I just, because that's actually a reference to a obscure passage in the Bible, but I love the name Mars Hill because it was just like, what? <laughs> um, and uh, I remember we, we didn't take an offering. We just put these metal boxes in the back. And then I was like, oh, let's do this. If anybody gives money to the church, let's give let's give most of the money people give away to like to the poor, to microfinance projects in sub-Saharan Africa. Let's, from the get-go, let's give away so much that we've rigged it against ourselves. Because it has to have like risk built into it or it's, that what's, you know, then you're, that's just, then it's just another country club with a spiritual veneer. So yeah, so I did that for a number of years and it was amazing. And where was this? Grand Rapids, Michigan. And what was the response to this pretty radical idea of a church? Uh, well, what's really interesting is it exploded. So it went 1,000 people, 2,000 people, 3,000 people, 4,000 people. I think somewhere around three or 4,000 people coming on a Sunday. <laughs> yeah, so then the church, then someone gave us a mall. And so we took over like a loser mall, like a mall that was dying. We gutted one end of it and made a meeting room in the round that sat three and a half thousand people. And so I had, to, I was doing the sermon three times on a Sunday by then. So at some point in my early thirties, uh, there was like 10,000 people on a Sunday. Holy cow. Yes. I remember somebody, I remember somewhere, somebody did an article calling it the fastest growing church in American history, which is just the most ridiculous stat ever. But also this sense like you were, it felt like it was very surreal. Like, I'm just, it's like a giant art project. I'm just trying to pursue, I'm just trying to make something here that could help people. And all of a sudden it's like a phenomenon. It's like a thing. How surreal was that to have this idea in your head? We're going to yeah. redefine, you know, what a church is right, like right, from, right. from content to structure. Yeah. And all of a sudden 
I mean, that must be like a rock, not to go back to your music roots, but like a rock star <laughs> thing, right? I mean, there's a yeah. reason you guys are, you know, that, yeah. that that really blew up. Um, I always, I had thought I'm either crazy or there's all sorts of people who would respond if we did this. And I, I was trying to reclaim the sermon as an art form, not as a thing for a group of religious people over in the corner. But you think about Martin Luther King, I, had, I have a dream speech. That was a sermon. Nobody heard that and then was like, I don't know. I think he went long. You know what I mean? Like that was an event. It was prophetic. It was speaking truth to power. It was giving you a vision of a better tomorrow. It was convicting, but also hopeful. It was raging against the machine, but it was also healing. It was all these different things. And you were either there or you weren't. So I had some sense like the sermon got hijacked somewhere along the way. But a sermon is hopefully an announcement about what it means to be human, help and insight. Um, it's a proclamation about how to be fully alive. So I was like reclaiming the sermon. I was setting things on fire. I was covering the stage in dirt. I'd have actors planted in the, because to me it was like a, like this is a, this is an event that you get caught up in and you're learning and you're growing and you're being challenged and you've got other people. And then you think about, in the Gospels, almost every time Jesus is asked a question, he responds with a question. Well, how do you read it? How do you interpret it? So what's interesting is the Jesus movement, Jesus himself was the opposite of brainwashing. You know what I mean? So yeah. this whole movement essentially is upside down from its roots, which were think for yourself, challenge it, test it. So to me, any sort of faith worth having has to be intellectually honest. Doubt insecurity, ambiguity, tension, and paradox all must be a part of it. A believer and atheist are not two sides of a debate. Atheism is a dimension of faith. Who hasn't, <laughs> you know what I mean, found themselves thinking, don't tell me there's a goodness to the universe. <laughs> I mean, there, there are certain things that you see in life that, of course, in the face of that, something within you goes, it's dark. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, so, yeah. so actual faith is this living, breathing. You're shaking your fists at the heavens. You're embracing those around you. I mean, like you're, it's, it's, it's all this. So, um, it was exhilarating and exhausting and just broke me in pieces. <laughs> how, how many years were you in when you start to think? Uh, the five year anniversary, I had like a burnout because I came from a, I was trained, essentially, you just go. You just, denial's my drug of choice. Everything's fine, super pastor. Yeah. Like, we're good. You gotta be, you gotta be the visionary positive leader. So that's... So that image you, just yeah. killed me. I mean, I remember one Saturday, I did three weddings in one Saturday, and then woke up the next morning and did probably three sermons. Like, you think about like an athlete. You'd be like, how many games in a row could you play? <laughs> before your body would start to, and then the emotional, when you go to the hospital and visit a family and their three month old son is in a little plastic box and he's got tubes hooked up to him, like those, like I was doing things like that. And then I just go back to the office and keep working. But that's like emotionally devastating to do a funeral or to go to the hospital. So I didn't understand all the toll, what this was taking out of me. Cause you're young and you're trying to prove yourself. So I sort of hit the wall Five years in, I was like, there's got to be some other better way to live. And then what happened? Then I had to, then it was like, oh, there's this thing called therapy where you can 
do your own interior work, you can find out why you're so desperate to be successful and please. And the only route forward is you're going to have to have some boundaries. You're going to have to start saying no to certain things. You're going to have to risk that people will think that you're not everything that you've worked so hard to convince them you are. So that was like, uh, yeah, I just had, I had to. I was in enough pain. Um, and to this day, the number of leaders I meet with who are just exhausted. There's something about the modern world and the way it's without rhythms. So you're on email all the time. You're getting texts all the time. Yep. Then you combine that with people in, this, in like spiritual communities where the needs of the world never end. And without some solid boundaries, without days off where you're untethered to your phone, people just get cooked. Wow. So you, you go into therapy after the church? Oh, yeah. I'm probably early 30s. I'm still the pastor. I just start realizing the only route forward is to understand. It's almost like, oh, you have an interior life, and you have a family of origin, and you have a temperament that has health and unhealth. There are all these positives to who you are, but there's also like a underbelly. Yeah. So you have to go into that place, and you have to find out what all that stuff is. And gradually things started to make more It's like, oh, that's why I do that. Oh, yeah. everybody who's going to therapy oftentimes will say something. Lots of people will say things like, all of a sudden, this thing I always do when there's conflict, there's this thing I always do when there's tension. I understood why I do that. So I was given like little tools to help, you know, that kind yeah, of thing. That's yeah, amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I started to gradually get healthier. And then what you described, there was another leap from there. Yeah, yeah. So I did that. And then what I kept noticing is, oh, I'm talking about what it means to be human. And that's different than trying to build a particular religion over here for these people. The things I'm talking about are for everybody, essentially. Everything is spiritual. Work, family, relationships, how to keep a job, when to jump. It, yep. this, this all has, there are spiritual roots or depth. There's depth to life. So I started touring clubs like a band would tour, doing like like two-hour one-man shows. I did one on quantum physics and Hebrew poetry. Together? I, yeah, yeah. Called Everything is Spiritual. That was the first one. Then there was another. There was a Everything Spiritual 2. But um, I started touring like a band would tour. Like my family and I would get on a tour bus. And remember, we did 25 cities in 28 days. Oh, my god! So I would do like clubs. I'd come out and do like a sermon meets guerrilla theater meets performance art meets revival meets a TED talk meets a recovery meeting these like show like a stand-up sermon show thing so I just noticed that when I was environments that that weren't overtly spiritual religious it was like magic it was like it popped at some other level and you probably had different types of people coming to these absolutely because th it was almost like people could like oh I could bring my friend to that because they heard Seinfeld at that club so I could bring <laughs> my friend to that you know what I mean like that's a space but then I noticed when I talked about how to forgive somebody who's wronged you, or I would talk about like uh, how to not be cynical, um, I noticed that it had some, it was like, oh, this is where my work is supposed to be, out where we talk about all the stuff of life. Then I was like, well, how far can, how far can I take this? There was like a, um, it was like a leap with just, and I always describe it to people like you have enough texture and shape to know which way to jump but you don't have enough 
detail or security or guarantee that it makes it not like a risk and a leap and a jump. It's calibrated. It's like the universe is rigged in favor of you growing, and that means you're risking, and that means if you get too much. So when people are waiting for too much detail, that takes all the fun out of it because it's the leap that shapes you. And you surf every Oh, my day? goodness. Uh, Most days. Lots of days. Lots of days. Yeah, and then I do, like, I have a residency at Largo, which is like a comedy music club, and then January I'll start a new tour. So I'll do 20 cities first couple months of, but I just go out for a couple of days and come back because our kids, Yeah, I love being home with my kids. And then there's books and the podcast, and then I've been doing some long-form audio, like I just did a seven-hour and 45-minute audio project on the art of communicating. So for everybody who has to give speeches, has to give keynotes, who has to give... They're the CEO, they've talked to the employees. Like I just did like a workshop on how to communicate. So that's like, so I just keep making stuff. That's how it works. And what, <laughs> I mean, this is like asking the guy the question, but like, what do you want out of your life when you think of your purpose and your time on earth? Oh man. Uh, it brings me so much joy to create spaces where people can connect with the depth of life. And that's how I understand spirit, spirituality. It would be you can slide across the surface or you can slow down and see a whole nother world right here within this one. It's almost like an architectural dimension. Uh, a book has an architecture dimension. You enter into this world for five or six hours or on tour. Um, I'm going to take you somewhere for two hours and show you some things. The podcast, all these at some level, I'm creating space where you can slow down, pause, and maybe see in ways you haven't seen. Um, that's what I do. And I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah. You told me when we first were here, and we are live in your backyard right now uh, in West Hollywood, you said, you know, every time your family's moved, you know it's going to cost money. You know you're going to lose money on Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And yet you do it anyway. Absolutely. I'm so fortunate. My wife is, we somehow saw the whole thing as an adventure and yeah. better to be alive and filled with a sense of wonder and awe that we even get to do this. Life is going to be difficult enough. So you might as well be difficult doing something you love. <laughs> so uh, if you just assume there will be seasons of plenty, there will be seasons that are tight, um, there will be seasons of peace and calm. There will be seasons when it feels like everything's up in the air. That is just the natural ebb and flow of life. Sometimes you look at your bills and be like, oh my word, there's a little something there. And sometimes you'll look at your finances and be like, how are we even doing this? Um, and I kept noticing that the people who apparently had made it had all the same struggles as everybody else there were just more zeros <laughs> so you think about every person listening to this okay we're going to give you 10 million dollars there done don't have to think about your bills what will you do tomorrow morning you'll you'll just have a new set of things you'll need discernment and yeah. wisdom on um, so i just kept noticing that a lot of these things that people assumed were oh and then i get the pass and then it gets easy i did a tour with oprah we did an an, an mba are, an arena tour in the fall of 2014 <laughs> you were oprah's spirituality 
Oprah, Oprah. I went on a tour with Oprah. It was me, Deepak Chopra, Elizabeth Gilbert, Eat, Pray, Love, Elizabeth Gilbert. Of course. And with Oprah. Like, she invited us on her tour. And after the tour, uh, she and I were just having a chat. And she was talking about what she would have done differently. And it was like, <laughs> wait a second. <laughs> because the way that she was talking about the tour is how we all talk about life. I would have done this differently. I said yes to this. I probably should have said no to it. My intuition told me to go that direction, but these folks said, no, 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 do wow. this. Um, and it's just more, more, more planes and more zeros. But I, I remember thinking, oh, you can have literally billions of dollars, but you still have, what am I going to do when I wake up in the morning? Am I going to go here? Am I going to go there? Uh, your energies are a resource. You're going to spend them somehow. Whether you're an accountant, whether you drive Uber, or whether you own a TV network, it's still, you're going to wake up and do something. What's it going to look like? And it's going to bring its own set of challenges. It's just the more you look at the people who seem like they're successful, it's just more complex. And when you when it bombs, it really bombs. Yeah. So I just kept having these moments when I realized everybody's talking about the same thing. Um, does it have integrity? Does it flow from your authentic self? Does it bring you life? Does it bring others? Because if you're fully alive, you'll bring others life. So this thing like, well, when you go after what you want, that's selfish. No, you fully alive is the greatest gift you can give to the world. That's how you serve. So... Humanitarian organizations, and I've seen them up close around the world, are, are often filled with bitter, hollow, burned-out people who went to feed the world, and they're starving. Huh. You know what I mean? They did not, take a, they did not pay attention to their own interiors. Yep. Um, they're pushing themselves way past the brink of health and sanity, and, that, and, and eventually they, they can't be sustained. So you have to be doing what you're doing in some sort of sustainable way. Otherwise, you fry, you burn out, and you're no good to anybody. Yeah. And a lot of people, especially if there was a religious veneer attached to this, anything that feels like pleasure or like they're pursuing their desire feels like, no, I'm supposed to deny all that for the greater good. But that's a warped understanding of desire. No, the, the greatest good for the community is when you're fully alive. Because inevitably we will be blessed. So that's just what happened is like we kept noticing there was a way this works and it was very counterintuitive to the dominant messages that a lot of people were being sent. Well, and particularly <clears throat> in our community, a question comes up to often enough. Well, when you're 22 and you've got, you know, you don't have a wife and kids yeah. and a mortgage, right, you, right. you could do it. You have a wife and kids and a mortgage and you're <laughs> doing it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. you are making this happen yeah. and there's uncertainty and like you said, there's that unpolished, you know, scary texture to this constant jump you're in. Yeah. But yet it's worth it because you were so alive. And the greatest gift you give your kids is to be fully alive. That's that you're teaching your kids how to live. I'll be out somewhere doing an event and I'll ask the crowd. I'll do like a pop quiz to the crowd. I'll ask the crowd, how many of you, your parents saw life as an adventure you go on? Or as a trial to be endured. How many of you, when you look back at your childhood, if you think about your parents, you think your parents never 
stopped. They kept going or your parents settled. How many of you wanted a marriage like your parents had? I've never had a crowd not be able to answer every one of these questions. I'd like to do a whole list of them um, instantly. Isn't that interesting? Wow, that is So it's like all the parents who are concerned about, I need to teach my kids stuff. Too late. You, you're already teaching them. And parents who are like, well, I want my kids to know, you know, where I stand on these issues. <laughs> Your kid has heard you sound off on this. They know. They know. Trust me. So whenever someone says, yeah, but you know, but I've got kids. Yes. And that's why it's so important. <laughs> it's true. And to say to your kid, hey, it's going to be a little tight for a while because that job was killing me and your dad and I couldn't, we had the overwhelming sense that our time in that town had come to an end. By the way, like, like with Joseph Campbell, the hero's journey always has a geographic dimension. You got to leave the village. Yeah, better to have that conversation with your kid. Yeah, it's going to be a little tight because you got to sometimes go after your dreams. And yeah, of course that's tough. And of course a kid might, uh, I mean, I've seen people who are like, the kid had to go to a new school. Yeah, that was tough. That was. But man, it was under the larger umbrella of life is an adventure. Sometimes it's really tough. And we've had things go (laughs) horribly wrong. And so you just sort of, all right, okay, so now we're going to have to make another adjustment. Yeah. You got to hold the whole thing way more loosely so that you can throw yourself into it. Yeah. It's like these two things, you throw yourself in it with everything you got and you have to hold it open palm loosely. And that's like uh, you do both of those at the same time. And if you lose that yin and yang, if you lose those two hands, that polarity, and if you white knuckle it, if you grab it too tightly, or if you just say, ah, you take the route of the cynic, which is I'm just going to be an observer, then you lose something of the vitality of life. What do you see when you talk to folks in these um, these sessions and events that you have? What's the what's the biggest thing holding people back? Uh, fear, always fear. So a couple of things that are really I've observed helping people is uh, the universe. You have to go back to how is the universe a place of lack, or is it a place of abundance? Is it a dynamic or a static reality? Um, because for many people, how will I ever feed my family? Okay, okay, okay. So you have this job. You're getting a paycheck through a contractual relationship with X, company X. How will I ever feed my family? Let's back up and remember the universe, the divine, whatever language you want to use for this. Are there other ways to feed your family? Or is company X the only check-cutting machinery in the universe? And oftentimes what happens is people have become emotionally attached to this one paycheck delivery system. Could there possibly be other ways that maybe this could happen? And then uh, for so many people, the first step is they realize there are assumptions they've been living according to that they haven't even realized were assumptions. So for example, well, I, I need this much square footage. Really? Really? Because if you lived in a different town, if you lived in a city, if you lived here or there, that would probably be a different assumption. Yep. Well, my kids have to have a backyard. Or you could live near a park, and then you wouldn't have to pay for the backyard. So um, what I've noticed again and again and again is people realize, I've been living under assumption X 
And you always know you're making progress when suddenly you go, wait, I don't have to live. That's a rule that I don't have to live according to. We could put all of our stuff in a storage cube. Oh, we could rent out our house and you're right, we could, huh? <laughs> yeah, it opens up these worlds. I remember yeah. uh, there's this this idea, you know, when I was leaving my, my desk job, it was all about, okay, well, how could I ever get health insurance? You know, I thought that oh, right, the right. only way you could ever get health insurance is if I had this job at one firm. And then yeah. it was like, well, how could I how can I live? Because they give me my paycheck. You know, all of these things are yeah. just, you know, it's so closely tied to your work. And then there's the social implications, like you said, the Thanksgiving piece, where it's like, you know, that almost is harder than anything else to, to look yes. someone in the eye and say, I'm, I'm trying yes. to do something or I yeah, gave yeah, up yeah, this, yeah. you know. Yeah, and I often, um, one of the things I've noticed gives people some context is that tribes, neighborhoods, businesses, family systems, relatives, uh, churches, schools generally have a center of gravity of consciousness, huh. which is a dominant center of this is how it's done. So... Um, we'll go to a playground somewhere where all the parents of the six-year-olds are playing and listen in on the parents and you'll quickly pick up among those parents what their what the baseline is for normal for six-year-olds what you haven't applied yet to such and such private daycare school <gasps> your kid's gonna end up in a van down by the river you right, know what I mean? exactly you'll, you'll yeah. be able to identify the anxieties wherever you're at there's some groupthink party line center of gravity of consciousness and Growth is what happens when you have seen or tasted beyond the center of gravity. And once you see, you can't unsee. And once you taste, you can't untaste. So the thing about spiritual growth and the thing about expanded consciousness, obviously when you traveled after Bain, when you see beyond how your tribe has organized things, you now are an interesting place because you're more alive than ever. Um, because you've seen and tasted and you're electrified in a new way, but you also, the very point of your growth and opening up and, and expansion is now, could now be the exact place of tension and conflict with your tribe. Yes. And for a lot of people, this counterintuitive impulse is the very place where you might be most alive. And then you're explaining it to your parents might be the most might be the exact place where your parents go, we didn't raise you this way. Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's, I think there's a correlation. I mentioned this uh, elsewhere is that, you know, it's not so much leaving. That's the hard part. It's coming back yes. to where your old life was. Yes. You, I just, you can't put the genie back in the bottle. And, right. and you come back and you've, you, like you said, you've got this. I love the dimensions you get, you, you get out of that. And I just remember a, another friend of mine, Maya said, you know, it was so hard. She left her job. She traveled for a bit. She came back. And the first question was, how was it? And then immediately afterwards, what are you doing next? You know, and it's really hard to answer that when you've seen those other dimensions. Right, right, right. And so you you are now in different space that works according to different rules. And there's a so there's often a loneliness. And for a lot of people, it's like, do you want to be alive? Do you want to grow? Do you want to see new things? There will probably bring within an underbelly of loneliness. Yeah, and that's completely normal. And that n later stages of growth always bring greater freedom greater inclusion and greater complexity so freedom all of a sudden you realize there, there's way more options here than than you had picked up earlier inclusion suddenly things that were kept at a distance are like oh no those people the enemy them whatever oh that that actually is fine um i've met them 
Yep. And they're quite nice. <laughs> and the complexity is you because you are with each click more comfortable with the complexities and you don't need things as well, I go to the office and then I leave at this time. Like you don't need things as black and white straightforward as they used to be. And this isn't because you somehow wandered off into the deep weeds or left the path or lost your mind. It's be, be, that's what growth looks like. Yeah. Wow. Well, we will, <laughs> I, we could sit here all day. Time, I know you're, you're a busy guy, but that is, that is a sermon and a half right there. <laughs> Where can people find you uh, for more on this? Uh, RobBell.com, R-O-B-B-E-L-L is the site. The new tour is called the Holy Shift Tour. And uh, <laughs> I'm starting that in January, so I'm probably coming to a city near your listeners. Then there's, uh, there's always another book. I just put out a novel called Millones Cajones about a motivational speaker who has a meltdown. And then there's a weekly podcast called The Robcast. Which is uh, it's probably half me doing original new content, and then probably half of it is me interviewing interesting people. Rob, I know you are a very busy guy. Not you really. Got a lot of balls in the area of a family, house, kids, all the things you just <laughs> described. Uh, it really means a lot for you to join the When to Jump podcast and spend a. I'm cheering you on. It's my pleasure. We are a few weeks into the book being out, and it has been truly incredible. 15 events in the first 10 days, sellouts here, there, and everywhere, crowds of people that have a story to tell, and I've been able and lucky to meet many of you. If you haven't read the book yet, grab it, whentojump.com slash book. That's whentojump.com slash book. 44 stories of people jumping in every type of way, insights and frameworks and a foreword from Sheryl Sandberg. It has been amazing. So all that can be found on the website. I hope you read the book. If you do, reach out. Thank you for following and thank you for listening to the When to Jump podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.